I'm Lisa Stone, and you're listening to Parenting Aces. Welcome to Season 9 of the Parenting Aces Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Stone, and this week's episode is a replay of the Facebook Live interview I did with the ITA's Tim Russell last week. Tim and I talked about what the impact of COVID-19 is on college tennis and what he is hearing from his cohorts around the different NCAA sports among the college coaches and uh, with his industry partners like USTA, the coaching associations, the tennis industry association, etc., So I hope you find this informative. Um, Unfortunately, there's still a lot of unanswered questions, but every day brings us a little more information. So stay tuned. Tim is offered to come back on and have additional conversations as we get more information around what's going to be happening with college sports come this fall and for next spring as well. But for now, here's my conversation with Tim Russell. Tim, say hi to everybody. Hey there. And we're gonna go ahead. I'm uh, I'm doing a little shift here on my laptop so that I can look straight ahead at y'all instead of looking off to the side. But anyway, we are here to discuss college tennis, the ITA, COVID nineteen, what's happening with recruiting, what's going to happen this fall, what's going to happen this spring, and I have with me Tim Russell, who is the CEO of the Intercollegiate Tennis Association, the ITA. So, Tim, I had tweeted out and shared an article that Colette Lewis of Zoo Tennis had shared the other day, and you and I started talking and we've had some conversations about what's coming for college tennis and tell us what you know. And then let's talk about what we don't know for sure, but might know. <laughs> well, it's always a, a great joy to uh, talk with you, Lisa, and uh, always happy to talk about college tennis. So uh, basically college tennis has been strong. We've been uh, having a bunch of great years in a row. Uh, the season was going great. Uh, fortunately, the ITA's uh, six indoor team championships were all concluded uh, by the end of February, and then came uh, the heights of COVID-19. So uh, we have our ITA staff working uh, as hard as ever on behalf of college tennis. We have our coaches meeting in terms of their operating committees, the ITA board has been uh, meeting. Uh, the article that you referenced uh, that Colette had posted was on Athletic Director U. Uh, I think on Thursday, everybody will be able to read uh, Tim Russell's ITA uh, response. Good. Uh, if we, if we want to talk specifically about that article, we can. I mean, it was a thought piece that was really trying to ponder how to get the uh, Olympic Committee and the NCAA to talk uh, and then it kind of speculated about uh, what college sports might be like with fewer uh, sports. And that's actually right. a real uh, issue. Uh, I mean, the fact is our board of directors has people like uh, uh, Ray Anderson, who's the uh, athletic director at Arizona State, people like Judy Van Horn at South Carolina. So we've been trying to really keep our uh, eye on the uh, 
ball here, so to speak. And I can tell you that in the world of college athletics, if we walk this through, the fact that uh, a basketball tournament did not happen, March Madness did not happen, and the NCAA did not receive their media rights, the first major thing that happened other than just COVID-19 putting up all-time play is that the uh, schools have received a far smaller uh, stipend from the NCAA, which obviously leads uh, athletic directors and presidents and universities to figure out how are they going to cut their, their budgets. So the kind of things that we're obviously hearing from our coaches in terms of incremental changes are things like how do we reduce uh, travel, how do we have more regional play, uh, how do we cut down flying so that we can take uh, vans and buses, uh, and yet I think there's going to need to be some serious discussions, as there always are, about what the future of college tennis looks like, so certainly our staff and our coaches and board are involved with that exercise. On the short term, the first thing that the ITA is really working towards is to hope that uh, all are part of our summer circuit happens. I think everybody knows the ITA historically puts on a summer circuit, which has been growing uh, bigger and better. Uh, we currently have scheduled 55 tournaments that are supposed to start on June the 20th and run for six weeks. And clearly, uh, all of going to be following advice of uh, health professionals and government uh, officials. Uh, we clearly know that some uh, universities and colleges will be closed uh, throughout the summer because of uh, the COVID-19 and they'll be doing summer school online. So if that happens at some of the sites where our uh, events are to happen, uh, we're going to hope to move them uh, off uh, site to local tennis facilities. Uh, I happen to also serve on a task force that the USTA has put together that we're calling uh, Tennis Industry United, and it has the USTA, the ITA, the USPTA, the PTR, the TIA, the whole range of alphabet soups in the tennis world. And I can tell you that all of us are, are monitoring when tennis will be able to, you know, be played again. Clearly, I think all of us in the tennis industry want to hope that tennis can be a leader in demonstrating tennis as a sport of social distancing. And clearly things like a summer circuit match where two opponents are standing 70 feet apart from each other would be a good thing. I think all of us believe that uh, larger gatherings, things like, you know, the U.S. Open and the like, will be a little more challenged, as will the, the notion that maybe we won't have 100,000 fans uh, sitting in a University of Michigan football stadium. When we return to just the world of college sports, Generally, uh, Lisa, I think everybody is clearly monitoring whether college football will be played again. And I can tell you, I just got off a call with Ray Anderson a few moments ago, and he and all the other ADs and people interested in college sports are working on all sorts of different models for when college football might be able to come back safely. So I think the picture I'm trying to paint is that college tennis fits into a large context. Uh, the ITA is working hard on behalf of college tennis, and yet we're all kind of sitting uh, to see how the world will, will reopen. Right. How's that for a start? <laughs> it's, 
it's it's a start. And for those of you just joining us, I can somebody please um, just type a comment or give us a thumbs up or something and let us know that you can hear Tim. This is Tim Russell joining me. Uh, Tim is the CEO of the Intercollegiate Tennis Association, the ITA. And uh, he was supposed to be here, video and audio, but we're having some technical difficulties. Uh, All this technology we're trying to use and understand is glitching on us. And Tim was unable to get the video portion working. So I'm sitting here holding my handy cell phone up to my microphone in hopes that y'all can hear everything. Oh, good. Elliot, thank you for the thumbs up. Um, So... Tim, let's let's keep going. And and honestly, I've got a bunch of questions that parents have sent in to me. Thanks all of you for giving me the thumbs up on the sound. I'm glad y'all can hear Tim. Um, Tim, one of the questions is, you know, concerning the kids who don't live near the schools where they attend college and play college tennis and travel restrictions and what happens if there's another outbreak in the fall as people have um, sadly predicted might happen with COVID-19. How does tennis deal with that? What do we tell these families about sending their kids back to a campus that may get locked down, you know, hopefully not, but could get locked down yet again uh, if the virus surges again in the fall? What what are we saying to parents now um, to give them some peace of mind over this and, and to, you know, help them feel like their kids are going to be protected? So first of all, I think we'll all agree that we're in uncharted territory. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of the things that I think we can acknowledge is that uh, the whole world of the higher education enterprise, I think, has responded to the best of their abilities continue to not only be impressed with athletic departments, but also just the whole enterprise of higher education. College presidents uh, have tried to figure out how to keep the enterprise going. So, I mean, my advice is probably not going to be much different than some other folks, which is one, we're going to not only listen to our, our guts and our hearts and our minds, but we're going to follow medical professionals. And I can tell you, because I'm involved in a number of uh, uh, ways in a number of places, including the uh, USDA's task force, but talking to a lot of uh, administrators, colleges and universities are really not going to open up unless they think it's safe to do so. That's the starting point. So we have to remember that college athletics are simply part of a larger enterprise. So you know, clearly, if your son or daughter's college doesn't open, you won't be going. I mean, it's you know quite simple. Quite honestly, I think that the same metrics that people are using to say, will we play college football again, presidents and boards of trustees are looking at to see whether it's going to be safe to bring uh, students back to college campuses, to live in dorms, and to eat at dining halls uh, together. So everything people are, are seeing on TV in terms of the models that governors and like are looking for how are we going to open up society are the same ones that colleges are, are looking at. And, and my sense is that colleges are going to be even more stringent than some other um, places. And that might not be exactly what people are wanting to hear. It might not be what the 
entering freshman wants to hear, but clearly the safe safety and, and health and welfare of students is the starting point. I, I think people will be able to be comfortable if colleges and universities deem it safe to come back, that we will all experience social distancing in different ways, but uh, athletics and, and college tennis will not start up if universities don't start up. I think that's the the starting point. Yeah. And I mean, I think we all understand that. And I, you know, college tennis is kind of an anomaly in that there's a fall season and a spring season in college tennis. The fall season is more tournament based, individual based. And then in the spring is the dual match season. So has there been any discussion, Tim, about just making tennis a spring sport for the 2020-2021 school year, or is that not even on the table yet? So uh, you know college uh, tennis as well as anybody, and those are the discussions. I can tell you I'm a person who's basically an optimist. Uh, you know, I, I like to be hopeful. Uh, those kinds of decisions, again, will not be made by the ITA, just so people understand. If colleges, for example, decide that they're opening and they have college sports, there will be fall tennis. I mean, you know, anybody who's following college athletics closely know that people have talked about college football being just as it is. Maybe it's just the conference uh, uh, games. Maybe it starts in October. There have been even models projected of college football going from December to March, even while basketball is going on. I mean, everybody recognizes that college football drives the economic engine for college athletics. But uh, if, if college football and other sports aren't being played in fall, you know, we'll obviously look to the, to the spring. Uh, to your point about is it being discussed, I'm sure it's being discussed in a number of places, not just for tennis, but at the moment, to be clear, the ITA is not only in discussions about how we can be leaders in opening up society and using tennis as a social distancing sport. We were on calls with our partners at Oracle yesterday talking about, you know, how would the Oracle Masters go on in September? What if people are playing college sports, but not in California? I mean, if you're following really closely, uh, it could be that Gavin Newsom, the governor, hasn't opened up California. It could be that, that the Masters for Oracle had to move to a different time. It could be that we focus on our individual uh, season starting a little later. It could be the ITA focuses mostly on its team championships. But I know that one of the strengths of the ITA in the fall is actually our regional championships. So these are events that teams can drive to. And again, uh, usually when there's two college players at a regional, there's two people on a court. There's not usually thousands of spectators. So I think lots of us Sadly. are hopeful that tennis <laughs> will help be a leader in opening things up. But we really will not be opening up college tennis in the fall unless colleges are open and ADs say, you know, get to the courts and start playing. It's really I mean, not a, a call that the ITA will be making. Right. I mean, there's so many factors and such a snowball effect with all of this in terms of the All-Americans, you know, that people can qualify in the fall for the All-Americans. But, you know, I mean, 
there's just all, I, I'm sorry, I'm distracted because I've got comments coming in, but um, I. I'll take a shot at even the All-American. Okay. Because I, I, I speak almost daily to Vince Westbrook, who runs the All-American. And again, you know, one of the visions of the new All-American with men and women together is the ability for lots of people to drive in the middle of the country. I mean, it's clear that um, there's going to be a lot of different decision points on this decision tree here. I mean, college tennis could be open, our All-American could be happening, but schools aren't interested in flying from California or Florida. Uh, that's why I pointed out that the regionals are a good model. We're still moving forward, you know, with a plan for a fall national championship, you know, and your point about qualifying, that was one of the things we've even been working on because with the season canceled here in the spring, a lot of those uh, direct acceptance and, and things come off of rankings and the like. So you're correct. that It's a very complicated puzzle. I've actually stopped calling it a jigsaw puzzle and started calling it a, a Rubik's cube. Yeah. Um, so it, it's a complicated uh, time for all of us. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you know, beyond that, what's happening with international players who may not be able to fly internationally and get back to campus and what's happening with kids who had initiated transferring, you know, for next year. Um, are y'all hearing anything or seeing anything in those realms? Um, so those are a couple of different issues and I'll try to uh, take them one at a time. I mean, some of uh, the international students actually haven't been even able to leave United States to go back when their schools closed. Mm -hmm. So coming and going, and I think this is an issue that will also impact, you know, pro sports, you know, while, while the PGA of America is talking about having golf tournaments start and no fans, I mean, we still have a lot of participants in sports who travel around uh, the world. So you're asking all the right questions. I'm not sure I've got all the best answers, but I can tell you when you asked about what are we hearing, Next year is going to be a little complicated on a number of fronts, including, for example, the NCAA's decision to allow seniors to come back for another yeah. uh, year. And I can tell you quite honestly, uh, nobody asked Tim Russell personally, but Tim Russell personally was not in favor of that decision for a number of reasons. I'm asking well, Tim Russell personally, so I'm happy to hear your opinion on this well, one. I mean, the reality is it's happening, but now what I can tell you is that all of the ramifications that people like Tim Russell were talking about are mm -hmm. starting to happen. Right. So if you're a top school that has three seniors and they're all coming back, uh, and you also are a top school that had three you know, blue-chip recruits coming in, I think that's going to change the dynamic of that team. We have some teams that have no seniors, some that have a number. We're now seeing schools like Wisconsin and their athletic director saying, I'm sorry, we're not supporting seniors. Go on with your life. We have schools that have a lot of money who are saying, I'm willing to spend a million dollars. Other schools that can't do it. I personally believe that one of the benchmarks, foundational uh, points for all of uh, college sports should be uh, competitive equity. And I think in the NCAA's attempt to make a fairly quick uh, statement when the season was canceled, I hadn't thought through all the, the what ifs. So I know that we have a lot of our coaches trying to figure this out. 
which leads to your next point about transfers and the, you know, the like. So there's going to be a lot of individual cases, whether the Ivies decided that the seniors couldn't come back, somebody might transfer and take their year someplace else and start a master's degree. You could have just all sorts of scenarios, but I think there's going to be a ripple effect for a number of years. I mean, uh, I'll give some people a scenario where let's say they're at a school where their athletic department decides that, okay, we can have a senior come back, but we're not going to pay for a new incoming freshman. You could have a coach who has to call up a player who thought they had a spot and said you still right. have a spot, but not a scholarship. Well, I mean, and I was going to ask you about that. I mean, that's, that's a huge deal for a lot of families. You're darn right it is, which is why I was a fan of the NCAA. Yeah. Sometimes things happen in life and you just have to move on. It's one of the reasons the ITA is working so hard to celebrate seniors and celebrate accomplishments and celebrate hard work. We decided to move forward with our All-Americans and our competitive playing awards. But the uh, landscape for a competition next year, I just think, it is really not a level playing field anymore. So. Yeah. And I mean, do the players have recourse, especially the incoming freshmen or even a, you know, a sophomore or junior who was promised additional scholarship money because full scholarship seniors were graduating, let's say, you know, yeah. I mean, it seems to me that open and listen, I was really sad for the, seniors that didn't get to finish their seasons. I think it's heart wrenching for them, but you know, the more I've learned about it through conversations with people like you, Tim, the more I I'm on the same page as you, like, you know, excuse my language, but shit happens. And sport is supposed to be a microcosm of understanding what can happen in the world. And this was a great opportunity to use sport and say, you know, we're really sorry this happened. It sucks for you guys. We're sad and heartbroken and all that, but it's our reality and we all have to learn how to be resilient and use the lessons we've learned through our sport to deal with it and move forward and create new opportunities for ourselves. And and it sounds harsh and I don't mean it to sound harsh because I really, truly, you know, feel terrible for the kids that were impacted by all this. But at the same time, there's so many incoming freshmen who are being negatively impacted as well. Um, you know, it's 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 a tough call. I mean, I'm not saying the NCAA made the wrong decision because I, too, was not at the table, <laughs> um, nor was I asked my opinion. But, you know, it's. I feel like they've created a situation where now we're going to be in this vicious cycle that's going to take us even longer to climb out of. You you are uh, preaching to the choir, but you also do a wonderful job of sharing what all of us do who live in the world of college athletics all, all the time. We're talking about things like tennis being one of the great life curriculums. So, uh, so here we are. Yeah. I mean... What's happening with with the transfer portal? What what's going on with, you know, I, I'm seeing every day on Twitter multiple announcements of transfers, and I I kind of am doing that evil chuckle to myself when I see these, thinking, why in the world would 
a, a senior transfer to go back for a, a fifth year at this point in time when things are so chaotic? Not one you'd have to ask them, but I think your generic question to me was just about the transfer portal. And again, I'm not sure that you and I, with all of our conversations, have really even addressed that before Mm -mm. COVID-19. I wasn't particularly a fan of how the portal transfer, you know, was the transfer portal was set up, you know, anyway. A lot of the decisions that the NCAA has made recently has been, you know, I've been trying to do things that seem sensitive to student athletes, whether it's things like the transfer portal or the, you know, issues of name and image and like likeness. And uh, for, for me, uh, you know, it could be that I'm all old school, but I don't think so. I mean, I talk to a lot of our uh, coaches and, and I recognize that not, you know, there's not always a fit, but you know, sometimes the solution has caused, you know, even more problems. It's like we talked about the senior eligibility issue. So I think we're just going to have to keep, uh, we're going to have to keep monitoring this. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. And I mean, so today we heard about a college soccer team being cut and, you know, for me, that was just a, okay, here we go. Here's, you know, this is going to be the daily report. Um, we're going to hear of teams being cut at different schools. I, I'm, you know, on pins and needles, and I, as I'm sure you are even more so, Tim, about what's going to happen to college tennis programs. And can I just ask you what the ITA is doing in terms of having conversations with the college coaches and the athletic directors to save or preserve as many college tennis programs as possible through all this? Sure. Great question. And I'm happy to answer this one. Uh, literally, as I mentioned earlier, uh, I'll kind of do a, a preview that on Thursday, I've got a, a piece coming out that addresses uh, this. So let me talk about a few things. One, a number of years ago, the ITA created what we called our health index. It's available on our website and we've distributed it to our coaches and we've tried to be proactive to have them look at their program and say, are there any areas that need strengthening? Uh, so that would be one very specific thing. I can tell you in the five years that I've done this job, the good news is we've actually had a net gain of tennis programs, not by a lot. You know, there may be uh, 20-some that have been cut and 20-some that have been added, but there were some, you know, major ones like Arizona State men that came back. Uh, But all of that said, I believe that a lot of our coaches got complacent, you know, on what I could call the gravy train or whatever. It was much like the stock market. Everything kept going up and everybody thought it would be you know, wonderful forever. But I can tell you um, in 2018 at our ITA coaches convention, I gave a speech that is now sounding pretty prophetic because I told our coaches in response to a question of what keeps me up at night, that there were nine things. And I had the first five that were all financially related. They were things like the next stock market crash, the next recession, uh, universities having far too much uh, debt for things like football stadiums, uh, the nuclear arms race of football coaches having $2 million assistant coach salaries, 
uh, athletic departments and ADs not saving for a rainy day and the loss of media rights. And my slide actually had the image of a perfect storm. And actually, we've hit all five of those. The sixth one on mm. the list, if you happen to follow Twitter and a guy uh, named uh, Pete Hamill on Yahoo Sports, and, and this is, I think, a really big thing, uh, the Power Five commissioners uh, have supposedly written a letter to Mark Emmert asking if they can actually have some relief for a four-year period. And one of the uh, topics is what was sixth on my list was what would happen if you no longer had to have 16 teams to host a Division One college athletic program. What I said to our coaches is uh, if, if the presidents decided to make it 12, where would college tennis fit? And not just men's yeah. tennis, but even women's tennis. And the reality is, We've now hit six of my top points on my 2008 speech. So the fact of the matter is these conversations are real. These conversations are happening. Right now, all of our coaches are having conversations with their ADs and sports-specific administrators about what I would call incremental cuts. I referenced those once earlier. Things like not flying as much, more regional play, uh, fewer events, uh, less in the non-conference season, et cetera, et cetera. But one of the things that I'm putting forward in my uh, piece that will be published later in the week is that tennis really needs to be uh, part of the uh, solution and not just assume that things are going to get better. So to be quite transparent and candid, we have some of our coaches who are going – okay, let's just hold tight. We've been through crises before. This is going to fix itself. Just don't worry. And, you know, five years ago when I took this job, I tried to sound the alert, not as an alarmist, but to try to get ahead of the curve. I now speak regularly with ADs, and they're looking for more than the incremental 10% cut. So we are engaged actively in trying to figure out how to reimagine college tennis. Uh, one of the things that I've said for a number of years is I've always, you know, been pretty confident D3 tennis will be fine. Uh, in fact, even D2 tennis might be better than parts of D1 because of how it's funded from the NCAA. But I've always suggested that my biggest worry actually was at the Power 5 schools. And I think that's being uh, borne out right now. In some respects, even some of the mid-majors who've been challenged over the years might be a little better you know, position going forward, but I'm going to try to make sure the ITA and our coaches are leaders in trying to find real solutions for substantive structural uh, suggestions so that, you know, ADs and presidents don't just take the natural, you know, step of, of cutting sports like tennis. Right. I mean, in, in fact, in fact, tennis brings a lot to campuses. We need to continue to be advocates. We need to be well-established on our campuses and our communities uh, and the like. So, Well, all the uh, stuff we've been saying. I mean, we've been saying this stuff. You know, coaches have to be more proactive in engaging their communities and making themselves vital to the university and the surrounding community. Yes, we've been saying that, but I think that even more than 2008 might be the real wake-up call. I thought 2008 was going to be that wake-up yeah. call, and I didn't take this job until 
2015, but at least what I'm hearing and talking, speaking with ADs, you know, uh, let's just walk through a couple things. Take the Pac-12, for example. Arizona State's been adding sports. They have 26 sports. I think Stanford has 36 sports. Most of the other, maybe six to eight of those schools in the Pac-12 only have 18 or 19 sports. So if you're an athletic director that has twice as many or 10 more, you know, how do you make that work? You know, most of sports like tennis, whether you call them Olympic sports or non-revenue sports, the reality is they are cost centers to these programs. Right. You know, they cost money. And the reality is, you know, we have to have the, our tennis coaches and the ITA help, you know, non-revenues do more to justify their own existence. You know, we've told them things about being, you know, active on their campus and their community, but there's going to have to be some models so that tennis isn't just, you know, pushed aside. Right. My, my thing, I'm not saying anything out of school here because it was my own speech, but uh, in 2018, when I was asked my very biggest fear, it was what would happen if all the Power Five commissioners got together and just said, let's cancel tennis all at the same time so it's not a good grip. And everybody kind of laughed at me, uh, but the reality is, you know, if we don't do something to solidify our position, it'll either be a grip grip or it could be, you know, a really tough time ahead. And don't have people think that what I'm saying is for all of college tennis. Make sure you heard what I said. I think D3 is strong and will continue to be strong. There's not scholarships there uh, and, and other divisions as well. I mean, for people who are trying to really understand the athletic enterprise, most budgets are broken down in athletic departments, something close to a third for salaries, a third for scholarships, and a third for operating expenses at D1 schools. You know, D3 doesn't have scholarships. The Patriot League doesn't have scholarships. So there are ways for tennis to be creative, and that's the kind of thing the idea is working on right now. So I got a, a tweet, I guess. I, that's how I first got it, um, from one of my followers with an article that he had written about the simultaneous format and how that can save NCAA tennis. And what he means by simultaneous format is that you play the singles and the doubles at the same time. And that way, the whole dual match is played on the existing six courts that most colleges already have. And um, that it's a way to shorten tennis and make it more engaging for the fans and for the players as well. And, and to engage more athletes in the dual matches, et cetera. So I, I'm curious if ideas like that are being floated about. And if so, is that a potential way to preserve tennis as we go through all this craziness right now? Or is that just something we got to deal with later? Right now we have more pressing needs. What's your thought on that? Well, so first of all, the simultaneous format is one that the ITA discussed at length. Uh, even before I took this job, when I was chairing the committee, that the task force that actually came up with the current D1 format. Uh, to be clear, though, the way you framed your initial question, 
was about saving college tennis. Uh, the simultaneous format doesn't address it really the, the issues that the ADs are facing, which are right. financial. I mean, you've got the same, you know, uh, unless you're assuming that the the simultaneous format shrinks the number of players on a team. Um, but uh, the, the reality is for tennis to really be solidified, we need to help the major ADs who have million-dollar tennis budgets make those much smaller. So you could walk through what kind of things that, you know, those could be. Uh, I'm not sure that just announcing we want to go to a simultaneous format would be a big game changer. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting idea. I actually like the idea, especially from a fan right. uh, perspective. That, you know, there's strengths and weaknesses to it, but that's something that's been vetted, but I think they're going to need to be at least open discussions about even more structural changes for the top of, of you know, D1 tennis. What those are will remain to be seen, and maybe the voices that say, oh, we'll get through this, it'll all be uh, the same could be right. I try to think more like a, you know, a futurist. If you think about people like Faith Popcorn, but I just don't want to be back in the days of trickling programs getting cut. Mm-hmm. So, uh, well, so, so the ITA is going to tr- clearly try to be a leader in uh, in having these conversations, and, and actually sooner rather than later. So. Tim, I mean, in that vein, what should or could parents and players and fans of college tennis do to help ensure that their favorite teams don't get cut? Well, great question. As you know, uh, I had a you know two children that played high school tennis and one that went on to college tennis. Jeff now works for the USTA in their player development area. The kind of stuff that amazed me, you know, when you and I shared a journey through junior comp and USTA, I'm always amazed at how many high school kids, for example, say they want to play college tennis and then don't go to college tennis matches. Yeah. Uh, So if we're looking for very specific behaviors and not pithy platitudes, they can do things like go to their college tennis. uh, Well, I'm saying even before that, though, Tim, right now to you know, to help preserve these teams for whenever schools and, and sports reopen to all of us? What should we well, be doing I mean, right now? You know, that, that's, that's a great question. I'll try to give, you know, certain answers, and I'm not sure there's any, you know, magic bullet, but, I mean, the IJ is going to be working on a, a basic campaign. It's like hashtag I am college tennis. I mean, people could think of themselves as I am the future of college tennis. A lot of it they have to tell their you know, stories. I'm not sure that, you know, we want bunches of people writing to athletic directors saying save tennis as if they're going to be, you know, cutting it. I mean, even the thrust of my article that I'm writing for the end of the week is, you know, I think history is not going to uh, uh, be kind to people who might try to get rid of Olympic sports. So I don't want to sound an alarm in a, you know, in, in a bad way, but I mean, things like talking about college tennis, uh, being on social media. I, I don't want to sound too self-serving, but people should follow, uh, you know, the ITA. They should follow Lisa Stone. They should follow Colette Lewis. They should then retweet off their own accounts. I mean, our social media team will tell you how important it is that we, you know, build the engagement, uh, follow your favorite players, 
tweet, retweet, do, do, do things that actually just out in the ether make college tennis something that people are talking about. I mean, if you're following the ITA right now, we're actually doing, I think, a good job of trying to keep providing content about college tennis. But I would suggest people should engage with college tennis, uh, our platforms. We have a Facebook one. We have a LinkedIn one. We have Instagram. We have uh, Twitter, but also then, you know, help push out content. That's just how the world of social media is working. I mean, you know that better than anybody. You, you live in this world. But, <laughs> I do. You know, but, the, but the fact is, what we're trying to do is really build, even like when we talk to our sponsors, whether mm -hmm. it's Oracle or others, we want to be able to show the reach and, and demonstrated number of not only flat out followers, uh, but but uh, how many impressions, etc. I mean, that's just the world we live in and ADs and presidents are looking for that as as well so you know I, I would suggest you know get, getting involved with promoting college tenants in whatever way you can I mean it's this generation of high school kids and parents that know more about this than certainly when I was uh, a, a younger person <laughs> yeah well I mean we live in a world that is driven by social media. We know that. So yeah. I think, you know, your suggestion is a good one to make sure that you're engaging with the various college tennis accounts and liking and retweeting their stuff. And it, you know, I still, I roll my eyes at all this stuff, but it truly does have an impact whether we like it or not. And it's important that we engage with these social media accounts and, and, you know, get college tennis into the conversation on an ongoing yep. basis and, and keep it out there. But, but I mean, Tim, so there's no like petition going around or letter writing campaign. I mean, what have you heard from other sports that are, you know, non-rev sports that are potential, you know, on so, the so, chopping so, block? So, so happy to share that. And I think it might have to be my last answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the I top, know. top of the hour, I've got another uh, call, and I'm sure. happy to come back another time. But the reality is you've asked another great question, as you always do, is that I'm uh, much like the uh, tennis industry task force I'm on. I participate in the Olympic Sport Association where all the CEOs and executive directors of the other coaches' associations get together. So I was just on a long Zoom uh, meeting last Friday, and this included everybody from volleyball and women's rowing and lacrosse and wrestling. And we went around and talked about our various sports. So everybody should know that kind of we're all in this together. I mean, in some respects, one of my takeaways from that meeting is always, uh, and I really love those people and they're all working hard in their own areas. The ITA and college tennis, in some respects, are positioned better than others. So I know everybody who's a passionate tennis supporter always gets nervous about tennis, but in some respects, we're positioned, you know, better uh, than others. Uh, and the reality is, you know, whether it's our own coaches association or our sport, they're, they're dealing with the same thing. So back to your question about things like petitions and uh, you know, the campaigns. No, we're not at that point at the moment. And previewing again my article that's coming out, I'm challenging all uh, presidents and ADs to not use this as an opportunity for knee jerk cuts, but to have us work for larger 
you know, uh, solutions. And quite honestly, I think football has to be part of the solution. I mean, sure. the nuclear arms space really has gotten out of control. So I'm trying to strike a balance of, you know, sounding the alarms and being part of the uh, solution, but not being so doom and gloom that everybody realizes, oh my God, tennis is given up. So uh, we're not giving up at all. Actually, we're in a really, Good. you know, strong position. We just need to keep it that way. Exactly. Well, Tim, I, I want to respect your time and I thank you so much for, for doing this. I'm sorry that we had all those technical issues at the beginning and hopefully we if we do this again, again we'll, yeah. I'm actually pretty good with technology. I've been I know. and Google Hangouts and the wall allows. This was going to be my first attempt in this format, but I appreciate your improvising and I thank uh, your listeners and viewers and all trust that uh, maybe next time we'll get uh, be live to, to work and people can uh, see that I actually dressed up today. <laughs> I know there's nothing worse than putting on your lipstick and then not having your camera work. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Be well. Thanks, Tim. You too. Well, thanks, you guys. Um, I think Tim shared some interesting information. I know some of y'all had emailed me with questions about specifics that, you know, if this, then what, and if that, then what. But I think what we heard from Tim is there's just too much up in the air right now to answer specific scenarios. And the biggest concern right now is getting COVID-19 under control so that our campuses can actually go back into session sooner rather than later. And once our kids are back on campus, then we can start dealing with the particulars of what a college tennis season might look like and what recruiting might look like and what transferring might look like. But right now there's just too much up in the air to even really have in-depth conversations on those other topics, which I, Listen, I'm as frustrated as I'm sure y'all are, and I can only imagine those of you who have kids who are planning to start college in the fall or who were planning to transfer to a new school in the fall. Um, I, I can't even think about how much y'all are on edge right now. There's a lot of financial uh, components to this, uh, a lot of logistical components in terms of travel and and time off work and all of these other things, um, you know, and, and Tim and I didn't even touch on the question of if the kids aren't playing tennis all summer because tennis is on hold, then how good is a fall tennis season even going to be? <laughs> you know, how are kids going to be ready to compete and play? How are they going to be physically, excuse me, physically ready or um, emotionally ready when they haven't been competing all summer? And I, you know, as much as Tim talked about the summer circuit, the ITA summer circuit, I, I am a huge fan of that format and that series of events. And I hope to God that we have things well enough in control that our ITA summer circuit can happen this year. But right now it's not looking great. Uh, most of y'all saw the USTA's announcement that they have extended the cancellation of USTA events for now. Um, but they haven't canceled their summer events either. So, you know, it, it's just also up in the air right now. And I think that's what's so frustrating. We all want answers, but we don't have enough information to really formulate good answers yet. So 
please just hang in there. Keep doing what you're doing. Stay home. Stay safe. If you go out, wear a mask. Um, That's the newest recommendation. So please abide by that. And I know there are people out there that think this thing can't get them. I hope you're right. I hope you stay healthy and free from illness. Um, But for me, I am choosing to stay home. I'm choosing when I do have to go out, even if it's to walk my dog, to put a mask on and protect myself and protect my neighbors um, and protect my husband who is living here with me. And I think that's all any of us can do right now. Tennis is important to all of us, but it's not the most important thing right now. So let's keep it all in perspective. Let's all do what we're supposed to do. Let's all stay healthy. Keep washing your hands. And um, hopefully we'll have more answers for you in the coming days, weeks, months. I, I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine. But for now, stay healthy. Thanks for tuning in and keep an eye out for future conversations. I know we've got another Facebook Live happening this Thursday, and hopefully we'll get the video working for my guest then. Um, I've also got my live stream with Dewey Evans happening tomorrow, and that is at 8 a.m. Pacific time, 11 Eastern. So hope you'll tune in for that as well. And as always, thank you for your continued support of Parenting Aces. Those of you who are continuing to pay your membership dues, even though I've opened all the content up and made it free and accessible to everybody, uh, I really appreciate that because I still have to pay my bills. So that really is helping. And thank you for that. Stay safe, y'all. I'll see you tomorrow with Dewey, Thursday, back here on Facebook Live. Have a great day. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast. For tennis parents, by a tennis parent. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to us and write a review on iTunes. For more information on navigating the junior and college tennis journey, please visit us online at ParentingAces.com. Thanks for tuning in and sharing us with your tennis community.